Good morning. Is this on? Brilliant. Good morning, everybody. Is everyone okay? Good. I've just got to go to the back and turn the machine on. If you suddenly see some smoke coming from the back of the stage, it's not because Daniel Earwaker's keyboard playing was so hot that he was on fire this morning. It's because there's a little smoke machine just on the back that I'm going to use a bit later. Um, I don't know about you guys, but some of our, sometimes some of our car journeys get quite interesting and, um, and quite uh, yeah, interesting. Normally when we get a bit bored and we end up reminiscing on one of Dad's, mine, embarrassing moments. And um, embarrassing moments come quite easily and quite common um, my way. The one we were talking about in the car was the time when um, we were living in Huntingdon in Cambridgeshire and I came down the stairs, went into the understairs cupboard and smelled gas. I was like, I'm sure I can smell gas. Shut the door again, got my wife, Roz, Roz, come here, can you smell gas here? I'm not sure. Just, I can smell something that's not gas. I'm like, no, it's definitely, definitely gas. So I shut the door again, went back 10 minutes later, kept trying, kept trying. Got to a point where my wife went to work, I was kind of like stressing about it. So I called the gas man, woke, um, waited indoors for about an hour, knock on the door, emergency gas turns up, he says, yeah, yeah, hiya, just come to quickly check, sounds like you've got a gas here. I'm like, yeah, come this way. Open the door, he went in, and he was like, yeah, not sure, I'm not like, no, I'm sure I smell gas. He was like, look, I'm a gas man. I don't think it's gas, but we shut the door for another five minutes, so we did that. This thing went on and on and on. Anyway... We sat and having a cup of tea and I was talking to him. He was like, right, I'm going to go, open the door, and then we can definitely see if this is gas or not. Shut the door, open the door again. He went in, he was like, no, it's not gas, sir. And I'm like, well, what is it then? He said, I've got to be honest, I think it's your walking boots in the corner of the cupboard. And I'd forgot that we'd actually been walking the weekend before. And I just chucked him in the cupboard. And so that was a slightly embarrassing moment. There are other times as well. And um, I don't know if it's the same for you guys. When you're trying to kind of like... So as Christians, we're called to be on a mission. And um, for me, my, my um, mission endeavours have been quite interesting. And um, as you know, I've got a little boy who's 10 years old. And before coming here, we planted a church up north. And um, I was invited to be a governor of a school. And so I took that on. It was brilliant. It was the school where my wife was working at the time. It was the school where we started to meet um, of a weekday evening. Anyway... I go to, to pick my wife up at one time, so we're driving in, I've got Malachi with me, I think Maddie was around a friend's house, got my son with me. Anyway, going to the school, and I was getting on really well with the head at this point, and she saw me coming, she said, I really need to talk to you about something to, in terms of the school, in terms of being a governor. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Went in, sent Malachi down to, to Roz's classroom. Anyway, so we were in there for about five minutes, and it got to a really good point. She knew I was a Christian, obviously. I was there because I was a Christian, and they wanted a Christian governor. And we started to talk, she wasn't a Christian, and it got to a point where she really began to open up her life and just different things, what was going on for her as a head. It was one of those things that was, you know when you get them divine moments and little divine opportunities sometimes that come along. It got, it got to a point, and we, I was just about to say, look, let me pray for you, really, I'd love to pray for you. And I was just about to open my mouth and offer that. The door opens up, Malachi pokes his head through, and... And he just says, my daddy trumps a lot in the morning. <laughs> Shut the door and walks out. And I'm like, I hope you understand what the word trump means. I said to Roz, can I use the word that sounds like dart? And she said, no, I don't think they're ready for that on a Sunday morning. That's the word that he used. He poked his head in and did that and then walked off. So I'm there at this moment like, I don't know what to say. But the thing is, it was embarrassing because it's true. 
So it's just like, well, I, I don't quite get what to do with this. There are other times in, in mission kind of endeavour where you get an opportunity. And um, at the same place when we plant in a church, there are times when it's hard. And there are times when it's painful. There was, a, there was a point where when we were just starting to plant the church, we were in an area that was rough, it was hard. The steelworks in Scunthorpe had just laid five, 500 people off and the town felt low. So as a church, what we did, we put on a job opportunity evening, which was a really good thing. We had a couple of recruitment people in the church at that point. So for, we're going to do an evening, we're going to advertise it. If people are looking for work, we want them to come. We've got job opportunity people there, recruitment, who can point people and direct and we thought, we're going to pray for people. So this thing got advertised out. And um, on the local newspaper, they've got a website like most places have. And um, I went on it about probably about three hours after this thing had been advertised. And, um, and it was really difficult because underneath, you, you get them everywhere. You get these people that begin to be really negative. And I was reading it. And there was a, there was a picture of me out there for, for everyone to see as a person starting this church. And people started to say, oh, he looks like a cult leader. He could laugh. That was me. I told her. No, genuinely, it looks like a cult leader. It's another church that are after people's money. And this was publicly people slating me for starting a church and trying to do something good. There are times when mission hurts. I know the first one was funny. That one hurt. I know that there are times when I could have done something, but I didn't. Anyone in that category? Could have done something, but I backed away, backed out, just got too scared. There are those times when I did something, and it was absolutely superb. There was a time we were in Cambridgeshire in Huntingdon, and there was a room full of students, all sixth formers, and um, I was running a sixth form conference, all to do with why does God allow suffering? And there was people from all different religions or beliefs. We had a humanist, uh, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, and Christians. And just different people, I organised this thing, and I got to speak at one of them, and I had a class full of 30, uh, year 13 they would have been students. And we got to the point where, and it, it's amazing how it naturally does a lot of time, we got to the point where I ended up explaining why Jesus died, and the fact that he did it voluntarily. And when, he, when we believe in that, we have a relationship with God, and he takes the punishment for all our wrong. That room went dead, dead quiet, and I've never been in an atmosphere like it. I've never been in an atmosphere like it. It was almost like if the gospel was a sheet of something, it just rested on most people in that room. And I just let it be like that, and I walked out and left the message with them. And there were, so there are times when... The gospel, it doesn't go quite as what we think it's going to be when we're talking about it. There are times when we say it, when it's difficult and the response can be painful. There are times when we don't say anything and we back away. And there are times when we do something and it's absolutely brilliant and superb. The reason why I'm saying that is the message for this morning taken from Matthew 10. Are we on? Yeah, the message this morning, we're going to take Matthew 10, 16 to 42. And, then, and I've called it Advice for the Adventure. If you've got a Bible, quickly turn to that. I'll call it the, the Advice for the Adventure. And the reason why I've just said those three things is simply this. We've all been in a place where 
We're called to mission, we're called to go, and we've all got our varied experiences. I just think Matthew 10, 16 to 42, Jesus gives some great advice to his 12 disciples for the adventure ahead. What I want to quickly do before we get to that is do a quick recap of what's gone before. It's important to put into context what Jesus is now saying in a bit that we're going to look at, but some stuff was said before. We've heard a bit of it last week and the week before that. And um, so what we're going to do is quickly look at that and what Jesus has said. Chapter 9, verse 27 to 34. Jesus heals people and casts out the demonic, to which the Pharisees say, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So Jesus is going around doing all good, and the Pharisees are saying, look at who he's doing it through, though. Nasty, some nasty stuff that Jesus is getting and coming his way. So just showing Jesus' popularity at the time with this group of people, among others. Then you've got chapter 9, 35 through to 38. And here Jesus, filled with compassion, looks at people and he says, do you know what, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And compassion, the compassion of Christ actually moves him. This is where Jesus famously says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. He looks out and he sees the job that needs doing and he's like, ah, oh, we need more people. I can't do this on my own. We need more workers. And in chapter 10, verse 1 to 15, Jesus gives the 12 of his disciples authority to drive out demons and heal the sick and tells them to go to the Jews, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is near. And he says to them, freely you've received, so go and freely give. So the place where we're at is Jesus moved by with compassion, sees it as a big job. He can't do it on his own. He sees 12 of his disciples and says, guys, come here. I am giving you authority to go and do the stuff that I have been doing. The stuff that you've seen me doing, now it's your turn. It's your turn to go. And then in Matthew 10, 16 to 42, Jesus gives out a bit of advice. And this is what he says. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's a good start. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against parents and have them put to death. You'll be, hand, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. And if the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his own household. So don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. 
what is whispered in your ear proclaim through the roofs. And do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one that can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even if the very hairs on your head are all numbered, oh, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against a mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. There's a lot of prophets there. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. I realise you've just heard a lot. That was a long bit of the Bible. But this is the advice Jesus has given to them. It contains some really, really important stuff because he cares about them. And he loves these guys that have been following him around, looking what he's been doing, and he's saying, right, now go. He didn't want to send them without giving them some prior warnings, some prior kind of like nuggets, if you like, that were going to really kind of send them on their way. So what is it that Jesus was saying? to these 12 in the context that they were walking this stuff out in. You've got to remember that this is real life. This is real life for these 12 disciples. This is raw, gritty, honest. It's, it's not kind of like a ladybird story that you put on your shelf and you get out next to Little Red Riding Hood. This is real, genuine stuff that took place. Verse 16, Jesus said, I'm sending you like sheep among the wolves. I, I don't know if I like that opener. <laughs> I just don't know if I like the sound of it. But then I think just as a shepherd, a shepherd would never send his sheep towards wolves unless it's really, really, really worth it. There's got to be a good reason for a shepherd to send his sheep towards wolves. In the most urgent of circumstances. So then I perhaps wonder if we should consider how important the mission of Jesus was to him. To send 12 of his disciples, 12 of his followers out into a well that's possibly going to be quite volatile for them. What I love about this is that Jesus himself has experienced what he's talking about. In a sense, he's been the sheep among the wolves. And you see it from this point when you look backwards. He's called all sorts of names. He's experienced all sorts of things. He knows what he's talking about. 
He knows what it's like to be the person giving the message of the kingdom of heaven is near in the world. And what he's saying to the 12, that he's saying, right, now it's your turn. I know I've been there. And actually, you know, you've seen me because you've seen some of the reactions. But I'm telling you, again, this is what it could be like for you. Jesus has seen the results that have changed people's lives because of the message that he was preaching. I think that Jesus was so passionate about his message that he was willing to send 12 disciples like sheep among wolves because he saw the benefits and the power of the message he was preaching to change lives. That outweighed the possible persecution. Jesus at this point has done a sermon on the mount. He's delivered a demonic. He's healed people. His disciples have seen it. We can't not remember these things. It's important to put it all into context. They've been following him around. And now he says, it's your turn. It's your turn. Shrewd the snakes and innocent as doves. And it's this place where Jesus is saying, although I'm sending you like sheep among wolves, guys, don't act like sheep. Has anyone seen that clip on, on YouTube with a sheep? There's a load of sheep running out, right? And for some reason, one spontaneously does the biggest jump ever and cracks its head on the wall. It's just a funny, that's, that doesn't sound funny, but when you see it, it's really, really funny. I'm not sure sheep are the brightest things. And I don't think Jesus is saying, do you know what? You guys, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, but don't act like sheep. Don't be timid. Don't, don't just follow the crowd. Don't, don't do that kind of stuff. I'm asking you, be as shrewd as snake and as innocent as doves. Be wise. Don't be silly when you're out there. Be wise. Use your common sense with this message I've given you. Remember some of the stuff that I've taught you and you've seen me do. Take common sense with you. Take some common sense with you. In verse 17 and verse 22, Jesus clearly says, when you go out with this message, it's not going to be nice for you. It's not going to be nice for you. This wasn't the only experience. Jesus went out and took the message and saw some amazing results. We've got to keep this in balance as well. Got to keep it in balance as well. But Jesus is warning them at verse 17 and verse 22. There will be times where this isn't going to be nice for you. There will be times when you're speaking and it gets people's backs up so much that you'll be called before councils, you'll be called before the local authorities. There is a possibility that you're going to be flogged. There's the possibility that it's going to hurt. But the thing is with that, it's not just a physical possibility of of pain. A lot of this probably would have been done publicly, so there's public humiliation. There's public ridicule for standing up for what you believe to be right and what you believe to be true. And I see that through Jesus' life. He's not asking them to do anything that he himself has never done. There's a place where it's not going to be nice. It'll cost them on the outside physically. 
but it will cost them on the inside, mentally and emotionally. Verse 34. Jesus takes it almost, not almost, he takes it close to home and says, this is going to affect your deepest relationships. Or it could affect your deepest relationships. It talks about family member being against family member for, for the sake of this message. And while a lot of us, and I find that difficult, I found it difficult. While a lot of us would think, well, that don't make sense because over here Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is peace, love, joy. And then over here he's saying, I have not come to bring that kind of peace. So what kind, what, what's, it sounds a bit contradictory. What's Jesus saying here? There's someone that loves people so much and over here he's saying, no, 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 this is going to bring division. What's he on about? The peace, God, uh, peace Jesus is talking about is, The peace he comes to bring is peace with God. And in a world that doesn't live by the way God does, when you bring light into that darkness, the darkness is not going to like it. And there can be times for these disciples, if they carry this message, even their family members could turn against them. Even the family members could turn against them. So the depth of peace Jesus speaks about is the restored relationship with God he has come to bring. Not an earthly peace we think of. And the peace Jesus speaks about will inevitably bring conflicts because it's righteousness in an unrighteous and proud world. And in verse 38, this this kind of sending out, it'll ask you for your deepest commitment. It will ask something of you inside. And this is why. Jesus is sending them out with a message. And when you speak that message, it, it can bring all, you can get all sorts of reactions. And Jesus is saying, it will ask you of your deepest commitment because you will have to face the consequences of the words that you have just brought. Will you stand up for the words you have just bought? Will you stand firm when things around you, like the ridicule and this kind of stuff, possible floggings and that kind of thing? Do you know what? This really makes me think about Jesus as a person. It really, I'm sorry, that's an aside. It calls for an inner personal choice. Not a quick, yeah, quick prayer, that's all right. But ultimately, a personal inner choice to decide, I'm planting my feet and I'm standing firm and you are not going to move me on this. It's a personal choice. Jesus is asking for them to make personal choices for him and for the message of the kingdom of God. Verse 38, it will ask for your deepest commitment. But mixed with that, There's some other great things as well. I think this is all great. There's some other great things of what Jesus is saying as well. Verse 19 to 20. Jesus says, in the middle of all this, but don't worry about what to say. When you're up before all these kind of authorities and people like that, 
don't worry about what to say. Have you ever been? Have you ever had the police following you behind in a car? You're driving along, right? And you kind of, and the police come, and they're not following you, but almost you feel like they're onto me. I'm like, what have I done wrong? And I'm checking my mirrors, and I'm thinking, I'm, are my tyres bold or are they legal? I'm, I'm thinking all sorts. As soon as a police, is there any policeman in, in here? No, I thought I felt quite calm this morning. That's why. Whenever I'm, I'm, I just automatically get worried about what have I done? Perhaps it's a guilty conscience. But then I think, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Have you been in that place where you come up to your boss or something and you feel really nervous and you just don't know what to say at that moment? I feel that every Tuesday morning. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> There are points and places where you get nervous. I think when the disciples have seen Jesus have to stand up against the authority, or not against, speak to authorities. There are moments when he's there and he's having to verbalise some stuff. He knows what it's like to be nervous. And I think he's saying to his disciples, those moments when you stand up in front of these authorities and you're scrambling around for words, words to say because you're nervous. And it is... You know, we're not messing about, like a flogging and that kind of stuff. Here's what Jesus says. Don't worry, the words will be given to you. And I think that what he's saying to them is, just as the Holy Spirit has been active and working in the message that I've been carrying, so the Holy Spirit will be active and working in you now I've sent you out. God is going to be with you. God will be with you. Verse 24 to 31. Don't be afraid. Jesus tells the 12 here, just as he's experienced all kinds of persecution, just so that, I think it's something like, just so that a teacher isn't above his student. It's something like around those kinds of things. What he's saying is, if I'm the teacher and I've experienced this, you're carrying the same message as me, you're going to get it as well. But he says, don't be afraid. It tells them not to be afraid of people, which is kind of an unhealthy fear. That bit of, you know, don't be afraid of the person that can kill the body, I think. But then he goes on to say, be afraid of the person that can kill the body and the soul and throw it into hell. Be afraid of God. Them two fears are very different, by the way. Different kind of fear. A fear of God is a reverence and awe. This is God we're talking about. There's no one higher than him. If you've got a scale of people that are influential, or things that are influential, things that are powerful, things that are above all things, I think he's top of the list. Way above it. He's going to top trumps. Imagine having God in a pack of top trumps. Everyone would want that card in a pack of top trumps. It would just do everything else all the time. What Jesus is saying is, God is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when you stand in front of these people that they might hurt you. Be afraid of the one that's in control of everything. And he doesn't leave it there. He gets really personal. He says, this God that I'm talking about knows every hair on your head. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without his care. And how much more valuable are you than sparrows? That, for me, Jesus is fueling his disciples with truth. That's the fact of it. He's saying, guys, don't be afraid. 
Verse 16 and 23. Don't be silly. I love the practical thinking of Jesus' advice here from experience. He tells them to be wise and use their common sense, but not staying in the same place that's going to get them killed, but move on. Move on. Move on. It's not the message's fault, it's the soil that it's falling on. Say the message, be there. If it's not happening and you're in danger, common sense, move on. So that the message can get as far as it can. In verse 22, verse 32, there's a great promise of salvation for those who can stand firm in the middle of fear or persecution and not turn away from Christ. They will gain the goal of their faith. Salvation. So he says, you stand firm and don't turn from me. Remember, there is a great reward for you at the end of this. You've got the mixture of a warning and yet so much encouragement going with it. What does this mean for us today? Why was the message that Jesus was saying so contentious? And is there a reason why it was so contentious that still applies today? I kind of think there is. And I kind of think it still is contentious today. And it's this. When you're a Christian and you align yourself to Christ, anything that's out of line with Christ is an issue. Does that make sense? Is that a bit fundamental? When you have to stand in a world with a message of Christ. And that world isn't and it's not in line with that message. If we stand for truth, this is what truth means. If we stand for truth, anything that's not true is an area of contention. And as we bring that message to the world and people, you are guaranteed to get all kinds of responses. They're not all negative. As we know, we're sitting here today. This message is accepted all over the world at different times and at different places, and the kingdom of heaven is advancing. It's brilliant. But at the same time, there will be some negative reactions that come. And Jesus is warning us. What does it mean for us today? It means that if we stand firm, we stand out. If we stand firm on an issue, we stand out. And this message is about what might come our way and gives us strength to be able to stand. The word allegiance, and it's a lining idea, the word allegiance to Christ means loyalty and support for a group or leader. For me, again, that calls for something inside and a choice of our own to say, yeah, I'm going to stand for that. We're going to quickly wrap up. I'm going to do two things because then I've got to get in my helicopter and fly to Bex Hill. This is my really practical way of trying to pull some of the stuff together, what Jesus has said. It kind of looks like this. Does it mean anything for us today? The bit where Jesus is saying, right, fear God and not man. I think he's kind of getting at something like this. There's God in a star. Okay, I know he's not a star, but that's God. That's all keynote could offer me 
That's God. Okay. That's us, or the disciples. Okay? We kind of landed in with a mission to kind of go and proclaim the message of the kingdom. And Jesus says, don't fear. Fear is a reality. Jesus didn't say there's no such thing as fear. Fear exists. Okay? It does. We all know it and we can't deny it. So we just need to accept fear does exist. As Christians and disciples are called to follow God, keep an eye, like, look at God. Learn, understand him. We want to follow him. Here's what fear can do. If we let fear grow, it can stop us seeing who God is because the fear is bigger than God himself. It's not in reality, but in here, and in here, it might be. Ever been in a situation where you just really want to tell someone the gospel or talk about God and you think of every single possible scenario that might go wrong before you even open your mouth? And so you don't even bother opening your mouth. You just sit there and think, oh, it's a lovely day. And inside you're screaming about, oh, I've got this message I want to tell you. It kind of looks like that. The fear's bigger than the message. The fear's bigger than God. And we just hold it at that point. It's, oh, and then you come out and you think, oh, I've done it again. Why didn't I just say something? You know? I think I'm learning for me. Some of the stuff Jesus is saying, sending us out. I want it to be just every day. I want mission to become part of my everyday normal way of life. For me, I just want to wake up, meet with God, and just let life flow. That's what I saw Jesus doing. Mission's a flow out of who we are. It's a flow out of who we are. Keep perspective on God and it puts fear in its right place. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I was going to end on something. Have I got time? I've got two, I haven't got time. I haven't got time. We were going to do some science. I'm just going to end it there. I'm going to make sure that I make Bexy a lot shorter because then it can, uh, we can kind of uh, do something. Another time, another time. Here's what I just want to end with. We're going to miss that bit. Okay, there's a question. Hopefully I haven't pressed the button too many times. For me, as I read that, Matthew 10, 16 to 42. It's full of so much. There's warnings and there's advice and there's positives and there's all this kind of thing. For me, it nudges me to act. When I hear of a God that knows the very hairs on my head, when I keep him in perspective and it puts fears, fear in place, it's kind of a question I want to leave, just in your mind. Is there anything out of Matthew 10, 16 to 42? that helps give you a nudge and a motivation to want to act in the area sometimes when we just don't. A bit of a question to leave you with. And I just want to say, if you're sitting there feeling like, I'm doing all this, it's going really well, and I'm digging in and I'm standing firm, brilliant. We've all had times when we're doing that, and I think the applause of heaven's heard. There are times when we try and it doesn't overly work out. That's all right. It happens. We all have embarrassing moments. There are times when we try and we get people's backs up. It's okay. But I think it's good to look at that and try and learn 
about, right, how much wiser can I be in a situation? And there are those times when we back away and we wish we would have said something. And I just think about it and think, God, let me know who I am in you so much more so that I don't let that happen. I want mission to flow out of who I am in the everyday. I want it to look something like I read in the Bible. God, give me the strength to do it.